Thank you, guys. I've been friends with Colin for a number of years, and I never speak publicly unless he asks me to, so <laughs> be nice. All right, I'd like to open with Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Colin told me to keep it to 15 minutes. I probably won't really do that, but I'll, I'll, stick, to, I'll stick close to it. Um, there's not going to be a lot that we can cover during this time, so I'm going to recommend some books to you. Books are my love language. <laughs> I will always pass them on. Um, but what I'd like to cover um, are some of the things that I wish somebody told me in my early 20s. Um, I, I've been a practicing Christian probably since my late teens. Um, I'm in my early 30s now, and as I look back, I think my life has been dominated by the same set of questions, and they frame whatever I do, whether I'm studying um, or worshiping or mentoring. Um, I've been consumed with the questions, why are people stuck and how do people grow? Um, and I think the reason why those questions have been so dominating in my life is for most of my life, I have felt hopelessly stuck. <laughs> um, there was a lot of chaos in my childhood, and so by the time I was entering my adult years, um, basic things that my friends just sailed through were terrifying and overwhelming to me, um, like getting a driver's license, going to school, turning your homework in on time, getting a job, keeping a job, getting a relationship, making it last longer than six weeks. All of those were completely over in my head. And this chaos extended into my prayer life. Um, I, it's not that I never had experience with God or felt close to God, but I would, I, I would see people around me, I would see my peers that just seemed to be growing and flourishing, and they seemed to like being around God. They seemed to like spending time with them. They liked reading the Bible. They liked worshiping. They even seemed to hear God pretty regularly. And so, you know, there was two groups of people. Some of them were a little healthier than others. Some of them were a little more neurotic. And when they would talk about hearing God, you just kind of got the feeling they were baptizing their neuroses, you know. <laughs> and they, they got some sort of security. Like, some of them were, like, micromanager hearers from God. Like, you know, God, do I put mayonnaise on my sandwich? Yes. Do I put bacon? I mean, why do you even ask? <laughs> so, um, and, uh, but, I couldn't dismiss the idea of hearing from God. I, there were times where I felt that I had heard God's voice, and I had plenty of healthy friends that seemed to be getting regular guidance from God. Um, 
But in my own prayer life, it was really hard to sit down and be in God's presence. Um, so thankfully, that's gotten a lot better. And a lot of what I do today is trying to create a safe space for people uh, when they come in to see me for a prayer appointment um, to learn how to listen to God, to learn how to feel safe with God, um, and to work through blocks and barriers. So I'm going to spend most of the time working on blocks and barriers tonight. Um, and also talking about the role that community and apprenticeship plays in how we come to know God. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on sort of tricky theological questions. Um, not that those aren't important, I just don't have time to go there and that's not really what I'm great at. So let me pull up my notes. I have some, but we'll see if my phone dies. All right, so learning how to hear God's voice is a skill and it's gained as trust is built with God and wise mentors. In a sa it, as safe experience is accumulated in an environment where it's okay to make mistakes. All right. I grew up in the church, and it wasn't even a particularly, like, it wasn't a bad church. It was a good church. They just didn't teach us certain things. What they did teach us was pretty good. Um, but we weren't really taught how to do stuff. So um, if, if we went to somebody with a problem, the first thing they'd ask you, are you doing your devotionals? Well, sometimes, you know, <laughs> okay, well, you need to read your Bible and pray more. I'm like, okay, that's all I ever got. Um, I didn't know how to explain that when I sat down to read my Bible, I got so distracted. Like, not, I'm kind of distractible, but I can read. I like to read. I would get pathologically distracted. I wouldn't be able to sit still. I would kind of check out. Um, I could get pretty anxious. Um, I could pray around other people that I felt safe with. Um, but it was very hard for me to enter into a regular prayer life. Um, sorry, let me go forward through my notes here. I've actually covered some territory. All right. So one of the things that bothered me about the advice that I would get is just read the Bible and pray more was the vagueness of that. So I'm not going to be able to correct all the vagueness tonight, but if that has driven you nuts, I know how you feel, and there are tools in the box that we have available in the Christian tradition that are not as vague that can help you troubleshoot some of the barriers that you might have with God. Um, I think it's almost easier to teach somebody to listen to God if they didn't grow up in the church versus if they grew up in the church, but they've gone their whole lives not expecting the conversation to be two ways. Um, you know, part of that is just accumulated experience. Part of that is people will psych themselves out if you get them in a chair and we start inviting the Lord's presence and asking him how he feels about them or asking him questions about things. Usually I find that people who are raised in the church are going to take a good skill and apply it in a situation where that's not what it's there for. So, you know, if, you know, they'll usually repeat something that is true, that they believe in their heads, that they know from scripture, but they're not really listening. Um, so I find that it does take a while for people to ease in. Oftentimes people that have become believers as adults and did not grow up in the church don't have as big of a problem with this because they don't have these mechanisms that they've developed. Um, and again, it's not a bad thing to repeat things that are true. But that's the point is to listen to something that you haven't heard yet or that you have not built a bridge from here to here with yet. Um, 
So going back to the friends that I had growing up, the ones that seemed to really have this great relationship with God, when like I would always look over and they'd be worshiping and they'd be having a great time and I would be all awkward and uh, my feelings just didn't seem to show up. I just didn't seem to be connecting and this tormented me. I really wanted to. Um, and I would ask my friends, like, how do you worship? How do you pray? And um, they would say helpful things like, I don't know, I just do. <laughs> um, and that drove me nuts because um, it reinforced this sense that there was something really wrong with me, that prayer should be something that you should just instantly know how to do. You should just know how to connect with God. It should just be there if you're really a believer. So I was afraid that I didn't mean it enough. Um, you know, like we all have like a certain amount of self-deception. I was aware about that. And like, you know, what if there's just something in the way? That was really hard for me. Um, and I had this unstated expectation that if I was really connecting with God, prayer should spontaneously overflow from my true authentic inner self and it's just going to be awesome and ecstatic and it's going to be easy and I'm going to get into some sort of groove. And it's not that I never had experiences that you couldn't describe that way, but it's not an accident that I had this idea in my head. You know, we, there's no such thing as an uninterpreted experience. And you don't go into situations without some sort of expectation about what it's supposed to be like that you measure your own experience against. And so what I described with this idea of this spontaneous, overflowing, true, deep, authentic self, um, that's actually some cultural baggage uh, that we pick up just by growing up in this culture. Um, any philosophy majors, history majors? Just my girl. Okay. All right. Be nice because I'm going to oversimplify here. Um, I think we pick up a certain amount of baggage about how people come to know things and how people grow uh, from a movement called Romanticism. Um, and Romanticism, I'm not going to go too far into it. Uh, the Romantic period is probably like the late 18th century through the mid-19th century. And Romanticism emphasized deep, spontaneous, overflowing feeling. Um, and it's particularly uh, connected to how we think about spirituality and connected to uh, how we think of artists and creativity. Um, and it causes this problem because we assume that feelings are, are just really us. If anything is us, it's our feelings. Um, and that's, that's not the whole story. Uh, we tend to think of feelings as something that are, that are uninfluenced by socialization. Um, and that's not really where we're at in terms of philosophy or psychology today. You know, um, most, most people would talk about feelings as, as habits that have become automated in your body. There's stories that you'll learn based on what's at stake for you. So here's a sort of silly example. If I'm a farmer, and I'm raising a crop of tomatoes and there's a drought, how am I going to feel if it finally rains? Thank you. <laughs> Are you a farmer? <laughs> no? All right. If, I, if I'm a surfer and I want to go to the beach that day and it rains, how am I going to feel? Not happy. Not happy. All right. So the same thing is happening to these people. They experience it differently, and they feel differently about it because, what is, because of what is at stake for them. Um, so 
it's not like we're thinking our way into our feelings. Um, but usually a feeling has become automated and then you think about why am I feeling that, all right? And we have this set of cultural stories that we use to interpret it. Um, so when I was living under this expectation that if I'm praying right, if I'm connecting, it should just be spontaneous and overflowing, I felt really shamed or like I just felt upset and disappointed when I wasn't connecting. Um, and so the tools that I had, read your Bible and pray more, I tried that. I honestly wasn't very consistent. Um, I was a pretty chaotic kid, you know, not very disciplined with anything. Like, I never learned an instrument. I never learned how to pray, play a sport. There wasn't anything in my life that I had to do that I wasn't instantly good at. And that can really hinder people if you don't have to grow in developing a skill. Because usually if you have developed a skill... You have this sense that I can practice and grow in things, and it's okay if I'm not good at stuff right away. Um, and we don't tend to think about relationships in terms of skills. Um, but there are skills involved in relationships. There's, there's skills involved in trust. Um, to trust someone is like a particular skill about knowing how you can relate to just that person. Um, and so learning how to pray and learning how to feel safe with God has a lot to do with trust. I tend to use the word trust rather than the word faith. Um, I think that faith is a really loaded term and that we almost can't hear it anymore without reading into it um, this sort of idea of intense, uh, 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 that faith is a feeling or that I just need to get my faith up to 20 faith points to get a new heart level or something like that. Um, I think if we talk about, if we substitute the word trust uh, instead of using the word faith, it's a little easier because we have this sense in our interpersonal relationships that you don't instantly trust somebody. That's not healthy. Um, you're going to get hurt a lot if you do that. <laughs> um, but I think we feel this pressure that we should instantly trust God and feel safe with God because we know he's good. But we know it here. We don't know it here. <laughs> um, another barrier that we, that we often develop growing up as Christians in this country is this misconception about how people grow and how their desires and their feelings change um, and how their behavior changes. So we can be brought up with this misconception that if I give you true information and you agree to that true information, that that should change your behavior. And that's not going to work, and you're going to be discouraged really quick. So hear me, I'm not saying that information and truth are not important. That's just not what changes your heart. That's not what changes your desires. That's not what's going to ultimately change your behavior. So again, I would, I would hear information that, I was, that, that was true. I would get psyched up about it for about a day, and... A few days later, it wasn't connecting, and I thought that there was just something wrong with me. So if you have the expectation that it should instantly connect, you're not going to know what to do when it doesn't work. Um, so another barrier that I grew up with um, was that uh, one of the things my church did well is, is they taught us that you are saved by grace through faith, that you cannot earn your salvation. Unfortunately, they twisted that a little bit, um, and they confused anything that we did <laughs> with, um, as, as earning and as works. 
So you really couldn't talk about practices, which I think is why when they would give advice, it was so vague. Read the Bible and pray more. I think there was this fear that if you talk too much about what to do, you would be talking about works. And if you're, if you're doing something, you're therefore trying to earn your salvation. Like The gospel is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to your effort. <laughs> Um, so all these things kind of dovetailed together for me, and this was not everybody's experience. And if you are one of those people that already has a great prayer life and that this is not, you can't identify with anything that I'm saying, I am so, so happy for you. But you are going to meet a lot of people like me, and you are going to need to know what to say to them and also what not to say. You know, please don't say, I don't know, I just do it, <laughs> you know? Or don't say read the Bible and pray more. Just send them to me. Um, yeah. All right, so all of these things combine for me. Because if things are going well for you, you don't look for an explanation. You know, you just go with it. All right, if things aren't going well, you start to get introspective and troubleshoot. Um, I really wanted help. Um, and I was stuck. Like I was tormented stuck. I was really hurting. Um... And I knew that I needed more than just my own experience. I needed more than my own wisdom. I didn't make great choices about who I trusted, unfortunately. I ended up at a cult in my late teens. Um, and that's scary. Like, when you open yourself up for help, it is possible that you're going to choose badly. And that is going... You're not going to necessarily end up in a cult. I hope not. All right. But when you are seeking help... You know, particularly if you're coming from a more broken place, your discernment about who to trust is not always going to be great. So sometimes when people are really damaged in their capacity to trust, which is going to extend to their relationship with the Lord, they are going to... They're going to go one of two ways. <laughs> they will not let anybody in, and if they have a relationship with God and all, they'll try to do this. The, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. Um... Or they will try to trust but be undiscerning about who they trust. And the only way that I know around that, there's, there's, no, there's no getting rid of risk, guys, um, is to pray <laughs> and ask the Lord to protect you and guide you and keep you from unhealthy people, um, to give you a good radar, to make it feel not safe when it's not safe. Um, and you're not going to listen to that all the time. Um, but you're in a broken world, and you're going to have to learn to be resilient. So if people make mistakes, you're going to have to say, Lord, this really hurt. If you're good, I need you to help me. I need you to get me to people that can help me. I need you to make me teachable. I, when I was in my 20s, I prayed a lot to be teachable. It paid off a lot. Um, I was a really smart kid. And that didn't get me, <laughs> that didn't get me very far because I just could not function on any other level of life. Um, your intellect is, is only going to be as good as your current view of reality. You're going to explain things from what you know already. And if you're stuck, you're going to keep repeating your stuckness. So when you're finding mentors, you're looking to borrow somebody else's eyes for a place that you don't know how to see yet. All right, and again, just as with any other relationship, you build trust slowly. You don't want to try to do insta-trust. I have a friend who uses the phrase, you don't take a two-ton truck over a one-ton bridge. 
Um, so I think learning how to listen to God is also very much tied with learning how to have good relationships with other people. Um, they transfer over. All right, do you guys know what transference is? I see one nod, so I'm going to explain it. So a transference is a term from psychology, and the idea is that we transfer unresolved situations or patterns from previous important relationships to current relationships. So one of the biggest things that I work through when people come in for prayer um, is we work through distortions of our understanding of who God is. Um, and usually those distortions are not coming from nowhere. Um, usually we're bringing in our primary relationships, our parents, significant authority figures, whoever raised you, boyfriends, girlfriends, siblings, um, any baggage from those relationships is usually going to get transferred unto God. And this is really confusing if you know intellectually he's not like that, but you still feel anxious in his presence. Um, one of the big reasons for me that I had such a hard time around God is that I did have an abusive parent. Um, and so when I would sit down to pray, I had this, my heart rate would go up and I would expect God to, it wasn't a conscious thing, but I, I was flinching. I was expecting God to be mad at me. Um, I was expecting God to condemn me. I was expecting God to shame me because that is what I had known throughout my childhood. Um, and when your body is getting agitated like that, it does take a while to calm down <laughs> and learn how to listen and learn how to be soothed. And so thankfully, after I got out of the cult, I was around some really wonderful people. My 20s were a lot better than my teens. Um, and they were very kind and patient because uh, I took a long time. Most of the people that I pray with are not as difficult as I was. Um, usually somebody can start to hear God's voice within two or three appointments. Um, some people hear it right away. It's not a big deal if they don't. Um, but, you know, some of the barriers to hearing God's voice are usually some of those trust issues from previous relationships. And so trust, again, is something that is built over time. Um, and we're just trying to create a safe space for people. So if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, that's okay. That's pretty normal. This is unfortunately not something that is practiced um, in most churches that I've been around. It doesn't mean that they're bad churches. This is just not a part that they do well. Um, learning how to pray and learning how to listen isn't something that we always have modeled to us unless you see it at home. And my parents were believers, but they were fairly immature. And I know that they prayed, but I don't think it occurred to them to model what their personal prayer life looked like. Um, I don't know that it would have been good if they had. Um, but I, I think looking back, some of my friends that had an easier time praying, they also had a much safer relationship with my parents. Um, I married a man that is a very different family background from me. He feels like he has the opposite of everybody else's baggage. He feels completely understood and loved and secure with his parents. Like, I never meet anybody like that. Um, so he has a very safe time feeling secure with God. That's kind of foreign to me. You know, but it's nice to know that that's available. It's just some people are going to take a little longer to get there. Um, 
Lauren, what was I going to say? <laughs> In conclusion, I know that that's a hot mess and that that's kind of all over the place. Um, you guys are welcome to come and talk to Lauren or talk to Colin. If you want help learning how to listen to God or working through some of the barriers, I know that this didn't get very far, and it's just kind of an appetizer. Um, there's a book that I'd like to recommend to you, um, Dallas Willard's Hearing God. It is available in an audiobook. All right. Also, we talked very briefly about romanticism and this idea of spontaneity and how that affects our expectations. Um, I would recommend a book by N.T. Wright called After You Believe also available in audio. All right. And just generally, when you're trying to understand how do people grow, how are our desires formed and reformed, I recommend James K.A. Smith. And if you go on YouTube and look for James K.A. Smith, Culture is Liturgy, you're going to find a great hour-long lecture. It'll get you started, and you'll know whether you want to read some of his other stuff. <laughs>